We're missing some folks here today, but it's good to have you all. I heard Orlando's name being mentioned. He fell off a ladder on Wednesday and still recovering. So I don't know the extent of all the injuries that had gone on, but uh, he just uh, mostly said he was bruised. I know he'll appreciate you all agreeing with him on a speedy recovery. Well, we're over in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 as we continue the series here on boundaries. Last week we were looking at the story where Peter spoke out the revelation he had that Jesus was the Christ and also spoke out that, uh, well, y'all not to teach this way. One he was praised for, the other one he was rebuked for. We saw that the in that passage, there were three different sources. The first one, Jesus warned them about the leaven of the Pharisees. That's false doctrine. The second one, he praised Peter for the revelation, the light that he had received. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And third, there was what we called luminous or false revelation. Things that are luminous are things that don't generate light. They absorb other light and reflect it in a different manner. There's a lot of things that are out there that are luminous. They absorb sunlight but they reflect it differently. And when the sunlight goes away in the darkness, those things that are luminous are able to uh, uh, to draw things to that light. So um, if, you, if we have any veterans of those folks who uh, watched the, the movie Finding Nemo, that little fish that's down there in the, in the deep part has that little luminous thing there. Yeah, he doesn't generate light. He gives it off. Those, those, those kind of things are or what would be luminous. But false revelation in the light of revelation won't stand. But Jesus taught first off for things to be aware of, of the false doctrine. He said, you get a little bit of that in you, it'll affect you. Now, Peter spoke out of the last two. He spoke out of divine revelation and he spoke out of what was satanic revelation because uh, as, he, as Jesus rebuked him, he said, get behind me, Satan. We can speak things that God has revealed to us and there's power to it. But you can also speak things that the devil has revealed to you or Satan's kingdom has revealed to you. Not saying that he personally goes around and reveals everything to each individual, but his kingdom will reveal things to you. Generally, he'll reveal things of a suspicious nature of other, other people. He'll reveal things to help you to distrust those that are around you. And a number of other things would uh, be typical of his kingdom. Don't speak those things. Don't give voice to them. Gossip is one of those things that the enemy loves to inspire. God does not inspire gossip. He says, get out of other people's business. It's not your business. Don't mess with it. And uh, you're better off if you do that. But here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, as we continue to look at borders, we're going to see that these folks had uh, extended beyond their borders in chapter 2, verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. How many of you are looking forward to Jesus Christ come? I'll tell you what, we can't get here soon enough, right? <laughs> we see with the direction this world is going in, I say, any day, I'm happy with any day. Come on. And, we're, and we'll be, be thrilled, but of course it's not up to me, it's not up to you. 
If it was, we'd probably already be out of here. But it's up to Him. And how long those last days last, we don't know. That's up to Him. But you all know the people have taught some things in the area of end times that are, that are uh, wrong. Uh, and they've, they've hurt. They've affected some. We've seen some people, they've uh, taught a date. Using the Bible. And taught a date. They had everybody focused on a date and that date came and went. And then another date would come. And then another date would come. And different ones would come and some people were swallowed up by it. Some people were resistant to certain ones but then gave in to others. And so here at uh, Zoe we have endeavored to, on a regular basis, we have gone over the end times teaching because we don't want you to be ignorant of those things. And so we've, we've taught them so that you know the, know the basics. There are some things we know from the Word. There are some things that we suppose are the case. But those things that we suppose, as long as I understand that I'm, this is interpretation, I'm supposing this to be right, then I can understand that it might be something different. But there are some parts that are just, this is the way that it is. The Bible comes right out and says this is what's going to happen. And so um, we make sure that we do that. But here, in this passage, he said, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day had Christ had come. Now what had occurred here is the church in Thessalonica it was undergoing a great deal of persecution and tribulation. In fact, it was so great and so strong that some had thought the tribulation had already come. And so someone or some group had written the letter and put Paul's name on it and said, I was mistaken. The day of Christ is now. And so they were disturbed. They thought that they either had missed the the rapture or there was not going to be a rapture. But they were disturbed because what they had thought was true didn't seem to be so. And so the purpose of Paul writing this chapter or this uh, this epistle is to deal with the fact that they thought they were in the tribulation already. And he's assuring them you're not. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. There are There is very few doctrines that people are more susceptible to wrong doctrine than end times. It's just amazing how much we are opened up to it. Because first off, we all want to end times to start now so that we can go. <laughs> right? We want to get out of here. We want to get the thing, get the thing started. So if somebody comes along and said, end times next week, we might be glad about that. And, you know, we might be able to side on it. They can give us enough evidence for the, for the thing. So uh, we've had all kinds of dates that have come and gone. But just because people have come and gone with dates does not mean that the date is not coming. But you see, this is why Satan inspires this stuff. Because if he can get you to believe, oh, it's here. It's, it's going to be in this year. It's going to be this year. It's going to be... And it keeps coming and going and nothing happens. Then eventually he, he sows the thought, it's never happening. Christ is never coming back. Well, Christ didn't share those revelations that he was coming on any of those dates that they said. That's a Satan-inspired revelation. 
If it's not God-inspired, guess where it comes from? And his purpose is to confuse the issue. And these folks were confused. And so, so much so that he wrote in verse 2, for them, he says, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Have you had something occur in your life that caused you to be shaken or troubled? You got some news, something came to you, and oh, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> and it troubled you. It, it shook you. This is what happened with them. They were anticipating Christ's coming, and they were under the impression He was coming really soon. They were not under the impression it was going to be 2,000 years down the road. Paul wrote, the day of the Lord was coming soon. Well, apparently, it's uh, taken longer than, the, than we thought. And uh, Israel was dispersed as a nation and then brought back again as a nation. But they were disturbed. They were shaken. He says, we ask you, don't be so soon shaken in mind or troubled. And then he gives three sources, either by spirit, those things that you perceive, something that comes by revelation to you in your spirit. We, we've said it this way. I feel like the Lord is saying this to me. You ever had that? Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong just because you said that. I'm just saying we, we, we have this come up. Down on the inside of us, something comes up. I feel that the Lord is telling me not to do this or I feel the Lord is telling me to do this. That comes up in your spirit. There's nothing wrong with that. You should be developing your spirit so that you become more sensitive to it and you hear things in the realm of the spirit. But he's saying, if you pick up something in your spirit that causes you to be troubled along this line, you shouldn't be. Now here at the end of the chapter, he says at end times, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but he says at end times uh, is, com is, is comfort. He says, we share these words to you because these are words of comfort. When we hear things about the end times, it should comfort you. If it doesn't comfort you, it's probably not godly doctrine. So throw it out. If somebody comes to you and teaches you something in the lines of, of end times, and you get, oh man, I'm so disturbed. Oh, I don't know what to do. It's probably not from God. Because Paul tells us here at the end of the chapter, we're not going to get there, but you can, you can read that later on. He says these are words, they're, they're comfort words. I've heard people say that there's comfort food. How many of you have some comfort food? You got some food that's comfort? Yeah. For me, comfort food is any food that I like when I'm hungry. <laughs> that's my comfort food. I don't really have any particular type of comfort food. Uh, but I've heard people talk about, you know, pizza for some people is comfort food. Pizza is comfort food if I'm hungry for pizza. <laughs> if I'm not hungry for pizza, it's not comfort. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm not hungry for pizza. Sometimes I'm hungry for something different. How about you? Some people you might be, might have comfort from fried chicken. <laughs> Mashed potatoes. <laughs> All sorts of stuff like that. You know, we just, but um, it should comfort you. So understand this. Now there's some words that, from the Lord that are not going to comfort you. But he's saying as far as the end times is concerned, these words are going to comfort you. So the first thing is, uh, is either by spirit. Don't let something be revealed to your spirit that is not along these lines. He says word. The word there that he uses for word is lagos. He could use lagos. He could use rhema. Rhema is a spoken word. Lagos is a written word. 
This is what people would teach of the written word of God. So have you ever heard somebody who got up and, and taught world on end times right now, just in this passage, they got up on the end times and they were teaching something from an end times passage and it, it wasn't comforting to, to you. It was wrong. Well, that's what he's talking about here. By word. By taking the word of God and making it say some things that it shouldn't say. And the last one is letter. Something attributed to him or another sound teacher or apostle. And this is specifically what he's addressing here in this book. Is someone had written a letter. And had, had uh, changed, said that Paul changed his mind. That the rapture either isn't going to happen or already occurred. Now we've joked about that. I heard, uh, heard uh, this is a great joke. I may have shared it with you before. But I heard there was a church and they had a meeting going on. And the youth pastor was always falling asleep in these meetings. And so they had the, he fell asleep in the meeting again. And so they had all planned it out that they were going to all vacate the room, but they left clothes in the chairs. So they took, you know, the sweater they had on and they put that in the chair and some other clothes they brought with them and they put them all in their shoes, the whole thing. And so when he woke up, he woke up and saw everybody gone and their clothes left behind. <laughs> he thought maybe the rapture happened. <laughs> And he got left behind. That's a good joke. I could get behind that. <laughs> I don't know how long they let that go on for, but eventually I guess he came out of the room and saw that there was other people around. But they were thinking that the day of Christ had already come. The translation there, day of Christ, may also be translated day of the Lord, which is a very common phrase for, for the tribulation. Now that would cause them trouble because then they're in the tribulation. Now, when our enemy wants to get to us, he's going to sow you sow some thoughts in your head. That's how he's going to get to you. It's one of the ways he gets to you. These are based on something that has happened or are happening right now around you. It can also be based on something that you anticipate happening or that you can imagine. Now, often these reports are twisted to lead you to an obvious conclusion. Now, I know none of you watch the news. But if you did watch the news, you know that the news shares the news in such a way to lead you to an obvious conclusion. This guy's no good. This person's all right. Whatever they want to do, whatever they want you to, to believe, they're going to share the news in such a way to lead you to that. They want you to think this person's a scoundrel, so we're going to share the news in such a way that you think this person is a scoundrel. I've shared it with you before. If I hear anything that comes from the news and they want me to believe somebody's a scoundrel, I immediately believe the opposite. <laughs> if they want to share things with me and they want me to believe someone is an angel, I immediately believe the opposite. Because it's the news media sharing it, and generally they don't share truth. So just understand, they're not out to to paint a real good picture, and neither is the enemy. He's out to paint a picture to get you to a place he wants you to be. And so he will shape events and help you remember things in that way. I've heard people talk about it even in the marriage counseling and things like that. That, uh, you know, when something happens in the marriage, the enemy goes back to the videotape. And he'll help you recall events in light of the way he wants you to remember them. So that he will lead you to an obvious conclusion. 
Don't do it. It's not how our God works. Now, our enemy's work is made a whole lot easier because of our tendency to believe a bad report. It is easier for us in the natural to believe a bad report than it is to believe a good report. It is easier for me to believe when the doctor says you're going to die than it is to believe the other way around. Well, it looks like you, it looks like God healed you. You're recovered. It seems to be a harder time to believe in that. Now, verse three, let no one deceive you by any means because there are people that are out to deceive you. Now, we're, this passage is dealing with, with end times. It can go all over and in other areas as well. There's people that are out to deceive you and get you to believe something wrong. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And he says, let no one deceive you by any means. They're going to come at you every single way that they can. They're going to try and find a way that you can be deceived. Now understand this, we all have some areas of weakness. The deception can get in. I have to be on guard against it. I cannot let it in. If I let it in, it's my fault. I, I, I can't do that. I got to stand up against it. Now, if you, um, I go back to sports analogies a lot because, you know, I was, I grew up in sports. And when I was, um, in, uh, when I was a kid, I played goalie a lot for hockey. I don't know why. And when we played goalie, we had no equipment. There was no face mask. There was no pads that we had a baseball glove and a hockey stick. That's all you got. And people are shooting stuff at you. For some reason, I decided to, I wanted to be a goalie more than I wanted to do anything else. So I was always in the goal. And I'm not saying I was good at it, but I was, I was in there a lot. And for at least a little while in gym class and stuff like that, I excelled. I was the best goalie that they had in gym class. And, and wherever I went, I was, I was, uh, uh, I would shut down people from scoring, even though I had no pads, little, little glove and, the, and, uh, and that thing. But I understood from this from, from being a goalie is that different goalies had different weaknesses. Some of them, the weakness is on their glove hand. Their glove hand is not as strong. Not saying that they'll miss everything with their glove hand. It's just if you're going to miss, that's where they're going to miss it from. Some miss it up high. Some miss it down low. They have what's called in hockey a five hole. That's right between the legs. And if you can get one there. So sometimes a goalie is known that that's where the, the weakness is. Or maybe their stick hand. So the weakness is going to go either stick hand, glove hand, five hole, up high, somewhere like that. That's what, so whatever the, the, whatever the scouting report is on that particular goalie, that's where you're going to try and fire the puck. To the spot where they are the weakest. Now their weak area may be stronger than most people's. But it's still their, their weakest area. And that's what, the, what you have to work with. So understand, of all the areas that you have in your life, you have a weak area. It may not be as weak as it was. You may have built it up. You may have strengthened it. But somewhere there's a weak spot. And that's where the devil's going to try and attack. He's going to find that. Sometimes we, our weak spot is what we perceive in our spirit. Sometimes our weak spot is how we perceive the Word of God. I've been subject to misunderstanding things in the Word of God. And, and that can be a weak spot. Sometimes our weak spot is just in our emotions. If he can get us emotionally involved, he can get us to believe the thing. So there's, there's weak spots that we have. I need to come to grips with what my weak spot is and to be working on that. So if I was a goalie 
And I had a coach. I never had a coach as a goalie because we just played Sandlot stuff and, you know, gym class and stuff like that. So if I had a, a coach and he came up to me and he said, Steve, your weak spot is your glove hand. I could say, I don't believe that. I think I got a good glove hand. And then I'm not going to get helped, right? But if I just sat there and listened to him, all right, my weak spot's the glove hand. What can I do to make that better? And if he would, as, as a coach, he would tell me some things I could do to make that better. You got to find out where is your weak spot. Is my weak spot in the area of emotion? Is my weak spot in the area of what I perceive in the spirit? Is my weak spot how much I know of the word of God? And we got to build that up and get that stronger. If someone can come to you and say the word of God teaches this and you believe it and it doesn't say that, then your weak spot could be the written word. You don't know the written word as, as much as you need to know. But there are deceivers out there and some of them are pretty good. You got to know they have some skills. They're going to use those skills against you. Because just like in hockey, person who wants to score, they want to get it past you. They want to get it in the net. They're going to exploit whatever weak spots you might have. And that's what the, the deceivers are out there to do. So get yourself worked on. These folks got into a place where they were troubled in their spirit. Apparently, they didn't ever need to be troubled in their spirit. But they were. Let no one deceive you by any means. Again, let no one. It's up to me. If I get deceived, it's my fault. Yeah, ever hear a goalie talk about a score, got, somebody got scored on them? They don't generally blame the defense. They don't generally blame the people that are around them. I let that one get by. They generally see it as a, as a fault of themselves. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now this is a misunderstood verse. If you've been here in the end times class, we've gone through this and this is nothing new to you. But if you have not, this may be, may be new to you. And of course, the teaching goes around that before Christ comes, before that day comes and the rapture comes, there will be a great falling away and people will fall away from the gospel. Now think about this for a moment. The Lord Jesus is delaying his coming because he wants to get as many into the kingdom as he can. Does it make any sense at all for him to pick a day when the greatest number of people have walked away? In the natural, does that make any sense at all? If God, and people will teach this to you, that God is waiting. He wants everyone to get in there as, as much as he can. I was listening to Brother Keith Moore this week on, on something. He went off on that. You know, he wants, he wants the rapture to come. And he was going off on that. He said, well, God's waiting because we can get some more in the kingdom. So if we have a God whose desire is to get as many in the kingdom as possible, why is he going to pick the time when the greatest number of people have fallen away? Well, you know what? We're kind of, kind of low on housing up here. I think what we need to do is wait until a whole mess of them fall away and then we'll come. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense, does it? I don't know how the teaching got going, but it did. He says, for that day will not come. This is Paul writing. Someone wrote to him before and said he changed his mind, but this is Paul writing. He said, that day... The day of the Lord, the day of the rapture, will not come unless. So what this is, what this wording tells you right here is 
that end times teaching, just like other teaching, has boundaries. And if you understand where those boundaries are, if someone were to come and teach something that is beyond them, you'd say, I can't believe that because that's beyond where I'm supposed to believe. And you'd shut it down right then. You see, your boundaries would help you out. Well, I know from the Word of God that the day is not going to be known. So you can't be telling me that He's coming two years, four days, and whatever it might be. And you just shut it down right there. In um, this word here is is a word that we get our word apostasy from. And so it comes away, it has the meaning for a lot of people of falling away of doctrine. Now understand, the Greek language is a heathen language. It is not a divine language. We may have a whole lot of fun with it in church. You know, talk about the, the Greek words and so forth, but it is not a divine language. When we get to heaven, I'm sure we'll be speaking some kind of divine language and that one will be, be divine. What's good about it is you'll know it as soon as you get there. That's great. But Greek was a heathen language. It was written, written by a heathen man. It didn't just evolve. Uh, Alexander wrote Koine Greek and then came back and taught it to his army. By the time Jesus has uh, come on the scene, it's had a few hundred years to uh, evolve some, but it's still, he did not create a, a word for the falling away from the gospel. That's not his purpose. So whenever you see a word that is used that way, they have uh, actually uh, used it for that particular meaning. This word is only used twice in the New Testament. One time, it talks about falling away from the teaching of Moses. But it specifically mentions Moses. A falling away or a departing from Moses. And in Acts 21 and verse 21, I wrote that, I believe I wrote that in your outline for you. But there's a word that is very similar to it. And that one is used a little bit more often. In Luke chapter 2, verse 37, this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And here we have this word meaning depart. In Luke 4, 13, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In Luke 8, 13, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, have and these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now there it would seem to you know, indicate a, uh, an apostia, a, a falling away from doctrine. But it was because of temptation that they fell away. And again, the, the context is the word, that the word came to them and they fell away from that word. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And there we have it translated depart. Now, I'm, in particular, I want you to see this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. This again is Paul writing. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, that would be last days, right? Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That word depart there is the word we're, we're looking at similar to the, the other word. But look at what he says here. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart. 
Is that a great deal? That's some. See, some is not a great. I go back to our, our verse here. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. This particular word is used with an article. In the Greek, when it's used with an article, which is, a, in this case, it's just the, but when they team up an article with a, a noun, it is talking about a particular falling away. He's talking about the falling away. You can use it like this. In this country, we have many presidents. We have a president of this company, president of this company, president of this company. Oh, he's president of, and you might just say what it is. But if we use the term the president, who do we mean? We mean the president of the United States, whoever might be in that office at the time. We, we say the president. We're talking about the person who's in that office now, not the one who was in it. That would be, he was a president, but the person who's in it now, we call it the president. So there you can understand the Greek idea. When we put that the in front of president, we mean this one. And that's what he's talking about here. He is talking about the falling away is translated here or departing. He's talking about the departing. The big one. And he says, the day of the Lord is not coming until that happens. He's pretty clear about that, isn't he? Now, in 1 Timothy 6, 5, useless, it says, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw or depart. Withdraw yourself or depart. In other words, to, to lead them. But it's talking about people there. When you team this word up with doctrine, gospel, or something like that, then you're talking about departing from the gospel, or departing from the faith, or departing from the temple, or something of that nature. What you have in this particular passage, let's go back to uh, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, our gathering together to Him, his topic is right here in the beginning. Brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. So what de- departation is He talking about? <laughs> the big departing when we are departed from here to be with Christ there. That's the context. That's just right there in verse 1. We're down here in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away, the departing, comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So, the departing coincides with the man of sin being revealed. Can you see that? No, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away or the great departing comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So it's going to be a twofold thing. The church departs and Satan's man is revealed. It's pretty much at the same time. 
So, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So the departure of verse 1 is in mind when he talks about that particular departure in 3. But in, in describing the son of perdition, he said, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, I'll tell you what, if we just understood that verse, if you wrote that verse down and put it on your refrigerator for a couple weeks, if the church would do that all across the, the world, we wouldn't have nearly as much trouble in this area. I've, I've shared this story with you before when I was down at Ken's Pizza, and um, uh, I would go to church on Sunday, but then I didn't have a school or anything like that, so after church on Sunday... I would come, I would open my schedule up and I'd say, if you want me on Sunday night, I'd work Sunday night. So I would work the Sunday night shifts at the, at the pizza place. Generally, I worked Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and um, any other time that they would give me, and they were happy to give me as much time as they, they, they could, and I was happy to take it. So I was in there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so Sunday night, we had this special that we would run to attract the church crowd. They wanted, you know, people would go to church on Sunday night, uh, back then, Sunday night services were a lot more popular. Just about every church had a Sunday night service, and just about everybody went to the Sunday night services. So they would go to the Sunday night services, and then they would go out afterwards and look for a place to eat. And we would want them to consider Ken's Pizza as a, as a choice. And so they'd come on down, and so we would have a, 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 I don't even forget what the combination was. I think it was a slice of pizza, a drink, and something else. Out of salad, salad bar, or something of the, that nature. And so um, people would come in from the church and they would order this particular combination. And I thought it was the most, the, the funniest thing because, you know, I would, I would, I was a cook. I was working the ovens. Sometimes I worked the make table and sometimes I'd answer the phone and run the uh, register. If nobody else was around who was doing the register, I would go over there and we'd run the register. And so we're ringing them up and I know, you know, they would all come up individually. Because, you know, it's a whole church table. They'll come from all over the place. And so uh, this one, they would come up and they had their bill. And so you'd ring it up. And it would come out to $6.66. And Every time we do this combination, it came out to $6.66. And I made the suggestion to the people at Ken's Pizza. I said, look, if you want, make the, the special 10 cents more expensive or 10 cents less expensive. Either way. Just do that because we're, we're really making these people struggle here. And so they would come on up because they were under the impression that if I bought a piece of pizza, a salad, and a beverage at the Ken's Pizza, and it came to $6.66, it was possible I was the Antichrist. Yes, indeed. I try not to laugh at them because that, that, that's not good to do with customers. You want them to come back and spend their $6.66 next week too. But they would, they would do this because they didn't understand who this was. We've had supposition, I think during my lifetime, just about every president was supposed to be the Antichrist. Haven't you heard that? 
and they would do things with their name. Wasn't Ronald Reagan one of the ones that, I think he's one of the first ones I heard. I think if you added up the letters in his name, I think it came to 666. And of course, you have to depends what language that you use to, to add it up, because English, we don't have numeric equivalents to the, the thing. So I think if you spelled it out in Roman or some kind of a thing like that, I don't know what it was that you did. But anyway, people would come up to that and they would come out with the thing that, you know, Ronald Reagan might be the Antichrist, because if you add up his name, it comes up to, and that, and all, all through there, uh, President Bush, he one time used that phrase, New World Order. And so then people thought that maybe he was the Antichrist. And uh, other ones have come up and, you know, everyone has uh, reasons to think that because they don't know Scripture. If you knew Scripture, you wouldn't be afraid of this at all. You would know that not a single president that we've had in our country, whether bad or good, makes no difference, not a single one has qualified that to be Antichrist. Now, we've talked to you before, there's, there's a spirit of Antichrist that has influenced uh, leaders that lead countries, including the United States. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist, folks, is not going to be a president of the United States. He's not going to come from America. He's not going to come from Europe. He's not going to come from Russia. He's not going to come from South America. He's not going to come from Africa. He's not coming from China. He is certainly not coming from North Korea or South Korea, Japan, any of these places. We know this. I don't know why we get it so confused because it is pretty clear. The Word of God calls him, gives him a name, calls him the Assyrian. That means he's coming from the nation, the old nation of Assyria. The old nation of Assyria, that takes up the nations of Syria, Turkey, Iran, and Iraq. That's where your Antichrist is coming from. And this person who's going to come from Syria... There might be a few other countries in there too, but those are the, those are the four main ones. Syria, Iran, Iraq. Yeah, we hear about them in the news, don't you? Turkey. You hear about these, these places. And, uh, you're going to get a leader who's going to come out of there. He is not going to be a revived Roman Empire. We, we spent time on this before and he's going to be from the Muslim kingdom. And he's going to enter into a covenant with Israel. And he's going to break that covenant. And halfway through the tribulation, he's going to put himself up in the house of God. This house of God that Israel has not built yet, but it will be building. That would not be a president. Nor would it be anybody who came into Ken's Pizza and bought a piece of pizza, <laughs> a salad, and a drink. So if we just would read what the Word of God would say, we wouldn't be deceived by all this. You know, it, if you go out and you have $6.66 in your pocket, it won't make you the Antichrist. That's all right. If you pay a toll on the turnpike and it comes to $6.66, rejoice. You are not the Antichrist. This won't happen for you. It says, He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Whatever is called by the name of God, he is against it. He will oppose it. All that is worshipped, he opposes it. He wants worship to him. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, there are not many people we, we would see that have uh, fit in the, that category, have they? Now, this word here, revealed, 
it means to lay open what has been veiled or what has been covered. In other words, this is what it is, but we put a veil over it. We just got done Christmas, right? When you came down from the, the stairs and underneath the Christmas tree are veiled presents. Right? We have wrapped them so as to conceal their appearance until the day that we want them to be revealed. And so, for some of you, you start putting the presents underneath the tree after Thanksgiving. You wrap them and you put them underneath the tree. If people come in, they look and they see wrapped presents and they say, oh, what a wonderful... They don't say what it is because they can't tell. Because they're looking. But see, its appearance is, is veiled until that day, December the 25th. Until that day. And then we rip off the veil and we look inside and we see what it was. That's what he's talking about here. There's a veil that has been put on this on this man of sin. It's not saying that the man the man would be seen. The man's already there. The man's already in place. The man has already been seen, but his character, but the character of the man would be revealed. So not that the man would be seen, but that the character of the man would be revealed. He shows himself to be something that he is not. So he gives the appearance to be one thing, but he is, he is something different. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So he's saying, look, I was with you. I went over all this. We taught it to you. Don't you remember? So all he is doing is reteaching them things he has already taught them. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now this is how ignorant people can get on end times teaching. I, I think you need a PhD to confuse this stuff. Pretty sure that you do. Because this is really not hard to understand. And he comes out very clearly here with it. He says, and now you know what is restraining. Does it sound like they are unsure? Seems like they know right off the bat what it is. That he may be revealed in his own time. So there is something that is restraining the man of sin from being revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Doesn't sound like he's going to put up much of a fight. But here, there's been a lot of supposition. How many have ever heard the teaching that the Holy Spirit is what is, re- is, what is keeping Antichrist from being re- revealed? And so, when Jesus Christ comes for His church, He will pull His Spirit out. But we also have it taught by some of the same people that during the, any, during the tribulation, it will be one of the greatest times of, of um, 
the spreading the gospel and people come and be saved? Isn't it amazing that the greatest time, or at least one of the greatest times of people coming to the to know Jesus is after the Holy Spirit is gone? I mean, if he's been in the way all this time, why not just get rid of him now? If more people are going to come to Jesus with the Holy Spirit out of the way than when he's here, then why don't we just get rid of him now? Why in the world is he here? You see how stupid that is? Holy Spirit is not going anywhere, folks. Holy Spirit is staying right here during the tribulation. He is not what is hindering. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. In this passage, who is taken out of the way? The church. So why do we come to any other conclusion? Why, any, why would any other conclusion come to mind other than the church? Because he says, just in the verse before, that when the day of the Lord comes, the great departing will go on and then the man will be revealed. So, so who is hindering him from being revealed? It's the church. It's not the Holy Spirit. Well, it says he. How many of y'all know the church is referred to very often as a she, as the bride of Christ? And you would if you're looking at the marriage supper and the marriage ceremony of, the, of Christ with the church. But right now, we're not looking at that. Right now, we're looking at Jesus Christ in battle. And who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. So who's the body? The church. Would a male head have a female body? No. So if you were going to refer to the body of Christ, you would not use the word she. You would use the word he. Same way we use the word he when we refer to Christ. You're going to refer to he when you talk about his body. So the body of Christ, the church, will be removed. It is what hinders the revelation of Satan's man. And the reason for it is, if Satan were to reveal him before the church is removed, we would spot him in a second. And we would expose him. But when the church is pulled out, we've got a gap here where he can be revealed for who he is. And no one will be the wiser. Because if you were spiritual enough to be the wiser... You've been pulled out. So then he will be revealed who he is. And people will follow him because there's no one to expose who he is. Remember, the two witnesses don't come along until midway through the tribulation. Now, some other people are going to get saved. They're going to get... The, this, is, this, is the, this is the bad guy. They're going to know it. That's all right. Nobody's going to listen to him. So now you know what's restraining. It's the church. That's who's, that's who's restraining. That's who's being taken out. Where in the world this doctrine ever came from that the Holy Spirit's being removed is ridiculous. But you see, if you understand the, the, the boundaries, if you understand the word, you couldn't be taken out there. Holy Spirit to stay right here. He'll wave goodbye. But His work's not, not over yet. 
And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So they're going to have some powerful things going on with them. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they may believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So now, now look at this again. If you're wondering, well, why does God send delusion? Real clear. And with all righteous all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. There is a love for the truth. Now you have probably seen this going on here and just, uh, you know, every once in a while I bring up some current events on, on some things that are going on. But some of it's just to clarify some of the, the truth that's out there. And you can believe whatever you want to after that. But there is... Um, there are, the media will sometimes say this particular person is a bad guy and show you all sorts of, of things and then people get an idea of well this is no good, this is no good but if you dig in and you find out what the truth is well they didn't tell you this, they didn't tell you this they didn't tell you this and then they changed this we've seen some some reports where they took some video and altered the video to make it look like someone was guilty who wasn't we've seen them change audio where they they actually mixed it up we don't like this part going the way it was. So let's take the end part, put it over here in the beginning, take this part, put it over here in the middle, and we can make them say whatever we want. And then people believed it. But when you come and you show them, here, here is the actual recording. Oh no, uh-uh, I heard it. You're messing with me now. You see, they don't love the truth. People who love the truth, they don't care what the truth points out. Well, I like that one. I don't want that truth because it's going to make that one look bad. Well, I don't like that one. I like that... I like this to be truth because I want them to look bad. I'm not in love with the truth. I'm in love with different people. And we can't, uh, we can't be hanging on to that sort of stuff. Don't, um, don't let that go on. Fall in love with the truth. These people that he's talking about here did not fall in love with the truth. They fell in love with a lie. And you can't pull that out from them. Because of that, strong delusion came their way. But they had to reject that love of the truth. Have a love for the truth. No matter the truth that you might like or dislike. It don't matter. Fall in love with the truth. I would rather have the truth than to not have it. That's just a, that's just bitter. And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Remember, Remember Pharaoh? He didn't love the truth. He kept rejecting the truth. And so finally God put all the stops out. Fine, you want to disbelieve? Disbelieve all you want to. I'm not going to hold you back at all. That's what you're going to do here. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like this verse. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you. How many of you ever feel bound to do something else? When you think of somebody, oh, not that one. 
Oh. <laughs> but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. I pulled this up in the Rick Renner translation. Did, were you able to get that on the, on the screen? All right, I'll read it from there instead of my phone. Every time we think about you, this is Rick Renner's translation of the verse, Thanksgiving floods out of our hearts. We are so overwhelmed with Thanksgiving that we actually feel obligated to stop whatever we are doing to take a few minutes to express to God how much we appreciate you. <laughs> Isn't that neat? Can you imagine that? Now, you see, if you operate this way, and when you have people in the body of Christ, no matter who they are, and you, you remember them, you don't say, oh, man, that is a nutcase right there. I just... <laughs> I know we're going to church. I hope they're not there. Nah, that's not what Paul's doing right here. See, he's operating in such a way that, oh, God, I, oh, I think about them. I just give such thanks for that person. But you see, the, the enemy wants to inspire you to not give thanks for the people that are in your life. Don't, don't follow that. Go after this. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. God chose you. When you see that other believer over there and you see their flaws, just remember this. God chose them. If God chose them, what are you doing rejecting them? How would you like to go before God and say, I reject those ones that you picked. I don't like them. We don't want to do that. To which he called you by our gospel for the attaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, sometimes this word traditions is used in a negative sense. Jesus oftentimes uses word traditions in the Greek the Greek word for it, he often used it when he talked about the Pharisees and their traditions and how their traditions caused them to even break the law of Moses. But it's not always used in a negative way. There are some traditions that are good. And Paul generally uses the more of the positive side with that. In 1 Corinthians 11, 12, or 11, uh, 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So these traditions were so important to, to Paul, he kept them. And taught them to, to them. And he told them, keep them. In 2 Thessalonians 16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting cons- consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now this won't happen. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. This comfort... This establishing, this is not going to happen if we don't uh, get away from what we're talking about in verse 1. When we have reports that come that are contrary, that are leading us out of bounds, don't do that. He said, you are troubled. You are bothered by these things because they went out of bounds of where they were supposed to go. He said, I taught you this. The day of the Lord will not come until the great, we'll call it rapture, occurs first. I taught you that. I gave you the, the realm. You should not have believed anything else. Now this is from Paul. And we know that Paul was called up into heaven by his own account. He was called up to heaven and God taught him the things of the church. And then he came down and taught them to us. 
and wrote the epistles. And so we have the greatest revelation of the church coming from Paul. But stay within the bounds of what you're supposed to believe. If we do, we'll have comfort. Our hearts will be comforted. We'll be established in every good work. Now see, those things, those are two things the enemy doesn't want you to have. So that's why he's going to be feeding you stuff and get you to try and be troubled, anxious, bothered. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Do you know some unreasonable people? Nobody does? All right. I know some unreasonable people. It says you'll be delivered from them. That we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Understand, some people are going to appear like they have faith. They're going to have the appearance. They're going to be all wrapped up in what looks like faith. But they're not people of faith. He says, there's some wicked people, unreasonable ones out there. And once you want to take off that wrapping, and you find out who they are, you get to see a whole other side. He said, boy, I wish you put that wrapping back on. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Now that verse right there, that's a refrigerator worthy verse right there. The Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. How many times does the enemy try and teach you, tell you, lead you in a way, God's not faithful. God has let you down. Some Christians think that the devil is more powerful than God. But he says here, he will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Now he just said in these verses, the brightness of his coming is going to destroy the man of, the man of sin. Just the brightness of his coming. That man's gone. Can you imagine that? What do you think it'll do to the rest of those that are of the kingdom of Satan? You don't have to be in fear of those things. But he wants you to try and get, he wants to try and pull you that way. Stay within your boundaries. Verse four, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. That's where you should be walking in the love of God and in the patience of Christ. Don't be impatient. Don't get in the love of men. Stay in the love of God. Be patient. Be patient with other people. Be patient with what's going on around you. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. And that word there, withdraw, means to, to get away. So it's the, not, the, not the, the word that we use for the, uh, the great departing, but the one that's very similar to it. But we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Now, he goes on and he talks about, I'm not saying to withdraw from, from them as a heathen, withdraw from them as a disorderly brother. You know, it's a, you treat heathen one way, but disorderly brothers, you've got to treat, treat a little bit differently. So, false teaching... I wrote this in your outline. I want to make sure that you get it. False teaching is simply that which goes beyond the boundaries of sound doctrine. 
False teaching is simply that which goes beyond the boundaries of sound doctrine. And here in this, just this one example, in the end times, we can see that Paul had established boundaries as were given to him from God. Boundaries as to who the Antichrist would be. Boundaries as to when the day of the Lord would come. Boundaries as to what would happen on that day. And if anything else, anyone wants to lead you in any other direction, that's not right. It's outside the boundaries. Don't be outside there. In this, we've also, we, we point out to you a couple other places where there were some boundaries that were given. And he says, don't let anything come to you in the realm of the spirit. In a teaching someone wants to give from the word of God. These are, stay with the truth that you know. Don't go any other, any other direction. And I, I, I don't always, um, when I'm getting ready for a Sunday morning service, I study the Word out. I write down the, the things that are important to know from the Word of God. And you know, I share with you some stories and, and, and things like that. I never plan out those stories. Sometimes you may think that I do, but I never plan them out. I don't write them in the outline and say, oh, go into this story or tell this thing over here. I don't plan any of them out. Um, and sometimes I tell a story about me. Sometimes I tell stories that other people have, have shared. Uh, and, but they all just, they come up in my spirit at the time. There are some times I thought, oh, you know what? That story would be real good here on Sunday. And I get here and I don't even think of it. Because I don't write it down. And I get done after, oh, I'm going I'm to tell that story. And I didn't remember it. It didn't come up in my spirit. But sometimes, you know, I've told you some of the, the stories about me. And um, I'm, I've, on the Sunday morning, I'm pretty, pretty open about some things that I've gone through. At least it, uh, it appears that way. <laughs> but really, if I have my, my preference, I wouldn't say a word. I just would, I just hush up about it. Um, but, uh, uh, this, this, this comes up to me here for, for this one, because I was noticing this, that, um, as I was going through it, says, well, I, I'm not always mindful of this aspect of the story. So I'll tell you this aspect of the story, of the, of the things. We're, we're telling you, understand your boundaries. God has given you boundaries. Stay within the boundaries. When you stay within those boundaries, you have faith. When I stay within the realm of where God has said I can operate, I operate with certainty. I operate with a knowing. I know I am supposed to be here and do these particular things. And I've told you my boundaries in the area of, you know, just getting back into running again and doing things. And um, I've, I've said it to you. You all probably say it just as good as I can say it. Four or five runs a week, five to six miles a run, and get some biking in there. He didn't tell me I had to bike once a week. He didn't tell me I had to bike twice a week. He just said, get some biking in there. Mm-hmm. I've had some weeks where I missed the bike altogether and then uh, make sure I got it in. And uh, sometimes he'd make note in a little log I, I keep. I said, uh, cross training day or <laughs> something of, of that. I'm getting myself to go this. But I don't always tell you some of the other, the other parts about it. And uh, I, I just showed you this with you for, for your help. Uh, just because I'm, I'm operating within the realm of where I'm supposed to operate doesn't mean I don't hear stuff. Doesn't mean that my hip doesn't start and talk to me and say, hmm, because it does. It still talks to me. I don't give voice to it. I wouldn't even be telling you guys this except it came up for me to, to share it with you. So when that comes up and I begin to, to feel that, you know what I do? 
exactly what I just did. Five to six runs a week. I'm sorry, four to, six, four to five runs a week. Five to six miles a run. Put in some cycling. I'm doing what I was told I could do. And I throw it out. And I keep going. Now here's what I could, here's my choices. Maybe I ought to back off a little bit. Maybe I ought just not to, you know, just don't run today. Just give it a day off. I mean, what can hurt having a day off? So you start giving into, into these things. You don't, want to, you don't want to do that. I give into the Word of God. If up in my spirit, my spirit says, Steve, take an extra day off this week. Take the week off. I'll take the week off. I'll take an extra day off. I'll do that. But that's not coming up in your spirit. It's coming up because of what's going on around you, which is what we see with, with these guys. You see, tribulation had come up. It become very, very strong. And because of the tribulation and what was going on around them, it left the door open for someone to come along and say, you're in the tribulation now. <gasps> we are. And it led them right outside of their borders, right outside of their boundaries. Now, see, the enemy would like, like me to give voice to the things he's trying to put into me. Into me. I'm not going to give inspiration to him. I'm not going to speak out the things that he tries to reveal to me. I'm going to speak out the things that my God reveals to me. And that's what we, that's what we stay on. That's what we speak with. And I stay on that. My, uh, my running buddy, John, we don't get there and run. He was, he was traveling this week, but one of the last times we got to run, he, uh, he said, so you ever going to go run more? I said, God tells me I can. His question was basically, Is this, uh, are you in this forever? I said, I don't know. I said, down the road he might. And uh, no, I think it wasn't, it wasn't John, it was somebody else. Somebody else was asking me that question. They, they asked me, and I said, well, no, I I hope it doesn't, doesn't stay that way. I hope it changes. But I don't know. This is where I operate. You see, stay on the mission. Don't get into the area of permission. I'm not looking for permission. Oh, God, I want to go out here. Oh, God, I want to do a 10-mile run. Oh, God, I want to do... I'm not looking for permission to go out on here. I want to stay on the mission that he's got. What's the mission that God has on you? Stay on the mission. Stay focused on that. The enemy is going to try and get you on those areas that are outside your borders. That's his goal. He wants to get you to focus on stuff that's outside over here. And he can do that with me. Let me tell you what. I've shared it with a couple people. I feel very pedestrian. You know, 26, 27, 28 miles a week. That's, that's not much. From what I'm... But, but I, see, I, I, won't, I won't look at it that way. I look at it. Father God, I thank you that I can get out here. 26, 27, 28 miles a and I'm running and we're having fun the enemy is going to keep trying to get you to go beyond where you are he's going to get you to try and speak things that are beyond your revelation he's going to try and get you to believe things that are beyond your faith he's going to try and get you to not take the areas where God has given you as borders but to be operating over here I don't want you operating over here where the love and peace of God is. Come on over here where there's some worry and some anxiety. Pick up this little, this little thought over here. I don't want you to be in here where you're always all this peace and all this love for all the brethren. Come on over here and be a little dissatisfied with some of the people that are in your life. Come on over here and say some evil words about one of the other believers. Come on over here. Come on. You know you want to. 
Come on over here. Just say it. Just say what you're feeling about that person. Just say what you're feeling about that body part. Just say it. Come on, you want to? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Stay within the area that God has set. And as you read through the Bible and as you read through the Word, you should always be looking how is He defining my borders? What is the area I'm supposed to be in? Because the area, you know, where the, I'm telling you about with running, is, that's, that's got some benefit. But you know what has the greatest benefit? Operating where He talks about here's where the joy is. Here's where the peace is. Here's where the power is. Here's where the faith is. Operate here. Operate here. And get everything you can out of what God has given you. Use the area where you are. And God will lead you into even greater things. Would you all stand up with me? The more I know what the Word of God actually teaches, the more difficult it is for me to be pulled out of bounds or to believe something that has no foundation in the Word. That's why our life is spent studying the Word, learning the Word. Okay, I understand. I think I understand that Scripture. But somebody's going to teach me something more. I'm going to hear something more. Oh, this is good. Oh, I hadn't seen that before. That See, it's defining your borders better. It's helping you understand what the area is you're supposed to be walking. Remember he said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to look. And all that you see, that's your borders. I want you to walk in the land. I want you to tread all upon it. I want you to go back and forth over it. I want you to walk this land because it's your land. I have given it to you. What has God given to you? The enemy always wants you to look beyond the land that God has given. You remember when Abraham first went to the promised land that God had given him and he's supposed to be walking about in? What does he do? He goes to Egypt. That's a land he wasn't given. Don't go to Egypt. Stay within the borders of where God has given you. Walk all through the land. Step on it. Tread on it. This is mine. The devil's going to come and say, there's giants in the land. You can't be in the land. They're going to exterminate you. They're going to wipe you out. And you're going to say, God has given me this land. He has told me where my borders are. And devil, if you're here on my territory, I'm coming to get you. And just as Israel was supposed to go out and get all the Amalekites and all the Jebusites and all the Canaanites and all the otherites and cast them out of the land. So too, when you know where your borders are, where you're supposed to be, you go out there and you cast Satan out of your land. This is mine. Just because he set up a tent doesn't mean he belongs there. You need to chase him out. This is my land. Well, you got so much land. How about I just have this little bit? No, this is my land. You need to go. Be like Judah. Judah took over so much land, we don't have enough people to take over all this land. Simeon, come on over here. You can come have part of our land. Father, I thank you that you have given us power and authority to operate within the land of where we are. The enemy may try and get us to dream about what's on the other side. But we're going to stay and operate within the borders that you gave us. 
And we're going to walk all around those borders. Because the devil cannot get us to go beyond where our borders are. He's going to try and set up shop within where we are to keep us from some parts of our land. But we don't have to put up with that. We don't have to tolerate him in our body, in our mind, hindering our operation, keeping us from doing what the Word of God has told us to do. We can stand firm on the Word of God. I thank you for that. With every head bowed, not looking around. If you're here today and you say, the enemy has parked himself on my territory. I see that now. This is my land. And he has taken up residency in my mind, taken up residency in my body, taken up residency in something that I have that God has given me. Raise your hand. We're going to pray for you here this morning. Father God, you see the hands that are raised right here? And as they have realized that Satan is in their territory, he's on their land, the Father, I thank you for the revelation that you give them of the borders that they have. The Father, in them, they will have words that will rise up to speak that which is inspired by God against the enemy. And when that enemy tries to come into their land, into their territory, just as Peter gave inspiration to the enemy and spoke those words into Jesus' life, and Jesus right away spoke against it. I thank you that these folks, when they see these things going on in their territory, will be just as aggressive and speak against the things of God that are under attack in their life. Revelation will be coming to these folks about what to do, about what to say, how to order their behavior. We will know for a shadow, without a shadow of a doubt, this is my territory. These are my borders. This is where I operate. And I will not be pulled to go out beyond it thinking like Adam and Eve did. Oh, there's something else out there if you just go beyond those trees and get to this one. Father, we will be satisfied with what you have given us because as we operate with where you have given us, those borders will expand. I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Understand too, in the word of God, Israel was given a border that they never accomplished. It was first for them to accomplish the river from the Jordan River to the sea. But they never walked in all that. If they would have walked in all that, the rest of the borders would have been realized. Walk in the borders that you have. And more will be coming. Sister Marguerite. Good morning, everyone. It's always good to see all of you um, here uh, on Sunday morning, and I say also good morning to our uh, those that are watching by way of the Internet. We're so grateful to be able to um, be under teaching that um, answers a lot of questions that we can have. Um, and God wants us to be knowledgeable about those things that affect our lives 
and to know how to operate in them. So we're so grateful for teaching that um, clears a lot of these things up. And um, I'm definitely going to go back and listen to um, this teaching, teaching us about our boundaries and borders. Uh, we have some uh, prayer requests this morning. Uh, we have one from uh, Sister Susan. She's praying for her cousin, Dustin, in Florida. Um, he's has cancer throughout his whole body, and the doctors um, are saying that they can't do anything. But he's a believer, and he knows about healing. So um, we're just going to um, I ask that you we all stand in our prayer time with him for wisdom regarding um, his healing, and that God will reveal those things to him that will uh, help him in this area. We are all family, so we are concerned one for another. When uh, one hurts, we all hurt. So we just ask that God um, provide wisdom. And as we pray for him, that we uh, are compassionate and think about um, the fact that we are family and we desire uh, good things for each other. Um, I have... Uh, also from Sister Susan, she was saying that she caught her thumb in a file drawer this week. Very painful, I'm sure. Um, immediately, she came against the pain, the bruising, and any damage. And within minutes, it was fine. So we thank God with her for that. Um, Sister Vanessa says that she received an unexpected pay raise. That's always a good thing. So we praise God with her for that. Um, Brother Nikolai is saying that he's so thankful and blessed for Miss Ethel. Um, through her, the Holy Spirit yet again confirmed um, and is stirring up the verse Galatians 3.13 in him. And he's saying that the timing could not be more perfect. Uh, Pastor earlier this week had shared a teaching from Keith Moore that specifically taught on Galatians 3.13 and being redeemed. And that's so important for us as Christians to know that we are redeemed. And he's so thankful for the Holy Spirit and how he speaks to us personally and through others. So that confirmation is a blessing. We thank God for that. And we have um, one last um, uh, praise report from Victor. Um, some of you are aware that um, Brother Victor... Uh, he is um, doing his residency um, away from here, and we miss him a lot. And he sent, um, by way of text, uh, a praise report. He says um, he thanks God for helping him to settle fast into his new workplace. Two things that were of utmost importance, a house and transportation to work. And um, God provided them from day one through a co-worker that he met there. And also the church family. Um, El Dorado Community Church has been so good. He's thanking God also for helping him to pass his clinical skills exam after a fourth attempt in Philadelphia. The first three attempts were in Atlanta and Houston, and he ran away from the Philadelphia Center initially because of what people were reporting about it. It was a great spiritual lesson for him that the just shall live by faith. So many times we will... Um, see an obstacle and we think, oh my goodness, I, I, I don't think I can handle this. But God is saying to us that, trust me, and I'll give you the wisdom to know how to handle that. So um, as you go today, um, enjoy the rest of this uh, really unseasonable um, 
day. We're just going to take advantage of it and um, pray that your week will be really uh, wonderful. Uh, look at your bulletin. We have a lot of things coming up. Um, next week we have the men's breakfast. And 